Our Old Testament reading comes, as Erica said, from Isaiah 12, verses 2 through 6, and that can be found on page 691 in your Pew Bibles. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the, peop- to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. This is the word of the Lord. The New Testament lesson is from Luke 3, verses 7 through 18, found on page 1028. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Sherman. Uh, Can we just take a minute to appreciate the light in this place this morning? 
It is so gorgeous. Um, so perfect. Am I on? Can you hear me? Oh, I heard it. Yep. Uh, so perfect for our series on longing for the light. Um, but then we meet with the harshness of John the Baptist. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, uh, I really like the um, beginning of the passage. I'm sure you noticed how harsh it is. John says to the crowds, they all come to him to be baptized, and he just starts right out with, you brood of vipers. Um, I think John the Baptist might be a little bit socially awkward. Uh, <laughs> he's just harsh right from the get-go, right? And he doesn't seem to be worried about scaring people off. Um, and I kind of appreciate that because I don't really like small talk either. Um, but I do wonder what attracted people to him. You know, everybody was going out to hear this really intense message. Um, I mean, he was a really strange guy. Matthew tells us that John the Baptist grew up in the wilderness, that he wore clothes made of camel hair, um, which you can make quite soft, I guess, but his was roughly woven, specifically. Um, Scratchy and plain, his clothes were. And he forged for his food honey and locusts. Like, that's grasshoppers. Uh, which is gross. Um, he, <laughs> he was clearly like setting himself apart from the way things were. But people didn't just go to gawk at him, right? They weren't just watching from the fringes. They, they went to learn. And they were convinced enough by him that they would let him baptize them. I think that maybe they went out there because they were longing for something new. And John seemed like he might just be the one to bring it. Maybe the way things were, weren't enough anymore. And so they went in search of something different. John's clothes, his diet, his location in the wilderness, they all would have preached their, unique, their own critique of the status quo, and his words did the same. Without flattery, without hidden agenda, it was exactly what you saw. Maybe the people went out to hear him because they could send something honest and true in him. They could sense that something new was coming. And they were longing for something new. I think that longing is something that most of us can identify with, right? Another school shooting, another deceptive politician, another war, another wave of COVID, another trauma, another sickness, another fight. And it's enough for all of us to be longing for something new. And here comes John, the strange character in the wilderness, whose very clothing criticizes those who are in power over all of this. Even as it marks him out as a prophet like Elijah, and he says, something new is coming. Fleming Rutledge called John the Baptist Mr. Advent himself, which I think is funny. Um, Because that expectant waiting and the wondering that his preaching kind of induces in people, that's the spirit of Advent. His harsh message, even, of separating the wheat from the chaff, this call for repentance, that's also the spirit of Advent. Advent is something like the blowing of the winds of change. Something new is coming, and it's time to get ready. Um, Luke, in chapter 1, tells us that John came to bring people back to God, to make ready a people for the Lord. 
He prepares the way for Jesus. That's normally how we think of him as the one who prepares the way. He prepares the way by preparing a people. And he prepares the people by calling them to repent. Now, repentance is more than confession, right? We confess our sins. We did this morning, every week in church, and hopefully also throughout the week. Um, but hopefully in our confessions, there is also repentance. Repentance means to turn around. The word behind it is metanoia, to turn, to change directions. John is inviting people to walk a new path. His baptism is a baptism of repentance, the text says, a symbol of turning away from the way things have been going and turning toward a new way. John's repentance and baptism doesn't, like, I just think this is interesting. John's repentance and baptism does not lead everyone to putting on their own camel hair shirt or making their homes in the wilderness with him. John is not building an army of revolutionaries. Instead, John is sending everyone back home. He sends them right back to their regular lives. If they want to practice this new way that he is preaching, the way of the kingdom, if they want to see something new, they're going to have to go home and work it out there in the mundane every day. John is not just interested in what they say or believe, but in how that, that works out in the way, <laughs> how that works itself out in what they do. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, he says. Like, saying sorry doesn't mean so much if you don't do something different next time. When they ask John how they should do this, how they should produce this fruit in keeping with repentance, John has some very specific advice. To the crowds in general, he says anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. To the tax collectors, he says, don't collect any more than you are required to. And tax collectors were hated in part because they just collected taxes, and in part because they abused their power often, collecting more than they needed to, lining their own pockets. And John tells them just to stop that. Then to the soldiers, who would have been um, something like an equivalent of today's police officers, he says, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. All said and done, they're like pretty small requirements. Share, be fair, don't lie, don't take more than your portion. Like John looks so radical and his advice seems so mundane. Like I wonder if it was a bit disappointing there are no spiritual heroics here, just everyday faith, faithfulness. His language of the axe at the root of the tree, waiting to cut down the trees that don't produce fruit, and the winnowing fork in Christ's hand, waiting to burn the chaff in unquenchable fire, like you'd expect something more extreme. But it's not. And yet, like, can you imagine a society where everyone shared That, like, basic kindergarten faithfulness would transform the world. It would be a revolution of a whole different sort. If everyone could just count on the basic necessities, basic care, because we share with one another. Just that little thing, and this place would look a whole lot more like the kingdom of God. 
John's advice um, is also for everyone. Uh, he will eventually get himself killed for speaking truth to power, right? He criticizes Herod. But in our text, this message is for everybody. The crowd he's talking to were likely not a wealthy bunch, not powerful people. Um, probably a lot of them were quite poor. Because this new kingdom is not the domain of the rich and the powerful. It comes up from below. And it will get into every place. Everyone is invited. Everyone can participate. And everyone has something to offer. John's advice is so practical. It has everything to do with whatever power you have and whatever money you have and whatever things you have and how you use them. How are you treating your neighbors with what you've got? And it's quite simple in exactly the place that you find yourself. In Luke chapter 1, um, there's another example of this. When the angel Gabriel uh, speaks to Zechariah, that's John's dad, um, he says, Gabriel says that John, here's what he says about him, John will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and, to the, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Like, did you hear that little phrase? to turn the hearts of parents to their children. Um, I got stuck on that phrase this week because I had never noticed it before and I did not know what it meant. Um, like I, ha- I thought like it has to mean more than just like parents are going to be kind to their kids. Um, and Tony and I talked about, like, is there some symbolic meaning? Is it about ancestors in Israel? But we couldn't really like, come up with anything that makes sense. Uh, the commentary that I checked... I only checked one because it's not my text. I was just a little distracted. Um, The commentary that I checked seemed to think it was about uh, parents, specifically actually about dads. I think the the text says fathers. Um, It applies to parents. But then, apparently in the Greco-Roman world, um, because it's, (laughs) wow, this is too many details, but it's quoting from the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament it says parents. In uh, the New Testament it says fathers. And apparently in the Greco-Roman world, Dads were pretty harsh and disengaged, often abusive. And so one of the results of John's bringing people back to God is that the hearts of the fathers would turn to their children. Like, isn't that just, again, so simple and so meaningful? Anyone who has grown up under a distant or abusive father knows the difference that it would make. Here again, the gospel speaks to how we use our power, even if it is just our power as a parent. The kingdom of God, it turns out, is available right where we are. In exactly your every day, every space is where you find God. In every one of those places, is exactly where you have the opportunity to see the kingdom flourish and to be a part of it yourself. When the people um, listening to John start wondering if he might be the Messiah that they've been waiting for, maybe he's the new thing, um, he tells them that he's only preparing the way that there's another coming. Um, 
it's Jesus. Uh, spoiler. Um, <laughs> and he, when he describes it, he describes Jesus like this. He says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Um, it made me laugh because the very next line, in the very next line, the text calls it good news. I'm like, oh, the good news of the unquenchable fire. Um, <laughs> but it is, it is good news. Um, John baptizes with water, but Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now hopefully those, um, those two words, the Holy Spirit and fire, will bring Pentecost to mind for you when believers receive the Spirit and tongues of fire appear over their heads. Um, these are one and the same gift. But while we often think of how the Spirit comforts or guides or empowers, John draws out the Spirit's refining work with fire. That winnowing fork that Jesus holds um, is like a pitchfork or there's like baskets that you can use. Either way, it's a tool uh, that's used to separate wheat, the wheat-like kernel from the chaff, like the husk of the wheat, uh, which is the chaff. So it sifts between the part of the plant that we want to keep, the part that will nourish and bring life, and the parts that get in the way of that. John has given his advice, and the people can then turn and do their best to follow it. But when Jesus comes, giving the Holy Spirit with fire, it will move beyond behavior change to an interchange, to the heart. Because we don't need us to just behave a little bit differently by the grit of our will. We need to be transformed. And the fire is a harsh gift but it is a gift that we need. Um, Malachi offers a similar image of Jesus, uh, saying, this is Malachi chapter 3, saying that Jesus will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. Um, that's a soap that's made with lye, so it burns. Um, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have a people have people who will bring offerings in righteousness. The refiner's fire burns away the impurities in a hunk of ore and leaving, leaves only the silver or the gold behind. The winnowing fork separates the chaff from the weak. And this difficult work is part of the Spirit's work in us. Um, Jeff Chu, you, you might remember him. He preached here once. He also wrote a book and he's kind of a big deal. Um, he, uh, what was, did someone say something? Okay. <laughs> anyway, he uh, posted on Facebook this week about this tough time that he was going through, and he said about, and he talked about his ever-annoying spiritual director, uh, who in this tough time asked him, what is God's, what is God's invitation for you in this? Um, which is a really great question, but if you're going through a tough time, it is a searing one. Um, my spiritual director has a similar question. She asks me, and how are they your teacher? Um, whenever I complain to someone about someone or some situation that I'm in, she says, hmm, and how is this your teacher? 
and I, I kind of hate it, um, <laughs> because it means that I have to do a little bit harder work than just like pointing the finger and whining, right? Like I've actually got to look inside at what the Spirit might be doing in me, what maybe is being reflected back to me in this situation, what refining might be taking place. Um, it means I've got to see the dark parts of myself instead of living in the delusions of my own perfection and everybody else's problems. Um, difficult people or situations are usually my teachers in some really painful ways. My spiritual director points me back to the work of, this Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit in me. With John the Baptist, she points me to the fire. Lately, I've had several situations that have been really hard for me to manage um, that have been my teachers. And this continual returning to the refining work of the Spirit has been harsh and painful. But it also has in some way felt right or true, which for me is always this mark of the Spirit. Almost like there's been a cutting away of the dead parts of me to reveal some life underneath. But that cutting can really hurt. It reminds me of Hebrews 4, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Dividing joints and marrow. This is a precise work, the work of a surgeon. And it's only after months of this, um, mostly my own struggle and occasionally my good reflection <laughs> prompted by my spiritual director, um, it's only after months that I'm beginning to see some fruit. Uh, she said last week, I think that I see something new being birthed in you. Um, I am learning acceptance and forgiveness in new ways for myself and for others which is the same thing as saying that I'm learning to love. And not in some false pretense kind of way, like I know how I should be or I know what I should do. Not in a way that just exists in my head like good advice. But in a way that happens here, like heart surgery. And the weird thing is that as painful as it has been, it is totally an answer to prayer. But the coming of the new thing has been painful. But I find myself grateful for the cutting, the winnowing, the burning away of the chaff, and pray that God will continue this harsh work in me. When we say we long for the light, we long for the fire too. And it's work that happens through prayer and soul-searching and reading scripture and all the rest, but it doesn't happen by escaping our regular lives. Rob Bell says, your life is tailor-made for your growth, and I don't think that means that, you know, God makes all the bad things happen to you, but God for sure won't let you waste them. Well, God won't waste them if you let him, I should say. We are longing for a new thing from God. And that new thing may just begin to take shape right where you are, if you will let it. Um, my spiritual director, again, you're all getting like 
uh, indirect spiritual direction. Um, <laughs> she, uh, she read a poem to me this week, uh, Denise Levertov's Annunciation. Um, if you don't know it, you should look it up. Uh, anyway, Levertov rem- calls us to remember Mary's courage. Um, she did not have to say yes to Christ being formed in her. In motherhood, Mary first made space for Christ in her own body. Organs being pushed aside, her body changing. She then endured the agony and the risk of labor. Then again, after Christ's birth, she made more space. This time in her life and her home and her family. And she did not have to say yes to this. And neither do we. In Advent, we are reminded that we make the very same choice that Mary did. To let Christ be formed in us. The same choice that the crowds seeking John made. Will we be a people prepared for the coming of our God? Letting every bit of our lives, our money, our power, our homes be oriented around God's goodness bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, even if it also requires the pain of labor, the refiner's fire, the winnowing fork, the double-edged sword. Um, I learned this week that despite John's doom and gloom, (laughs) uh, he is the patron saint of joy, which is actually why this text is on the third week of Advent, because this is the Sunday of joy, Um, because our joy is not born out of frivolity and ease. It's in finding that hidden wholeness that is uncovered when all the chaff is burned away. The kingdom of God is near, right here. And in your kitchen, and at your workplace, or your school, and in your car, and in your bedroom, and at the dinner table, the kingdom of God is near. When the crowds longed for something new, John pointed them the way back home, but in a new way. And then Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit that that transformation might go deep. Have courage. The Lord is bringing something new and has not left you to find it on your own. Listen to the Spirit. Pay attention. Believe the promises. Let God work God's goodness in you, even in the painful places. Let Christ be formed in you. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for all of those who um, are experiencing this sifting.
that they might know your nearness even in the struggle, even in the dark places, you continue to be their shepherd. Lord, may we be prepared for your coming on Christmas and your coming again. In Jesus' name, amen.